Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad you're here. If you are a visitor with us this morning, I would like to extend a special welcome to you. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say to you, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. This is by Hildegard of Bingen. Fire of the Spirit, life of the lives of creatures, spiral of sanctity, bond of all natures, glow of charity, lights of clarity, taste of sweetness to the fallen, be with us and hear us, composer of all things, joy in the glory, strong honor, be with us and hear us. Every Sunday we say together our mission statement. This focuses our energies, letting us know as a church what it is we are here for. Every Sunday we say we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Let us conclude our time of meditation by saying together the Buddhist metta meditation. I'll say a line and you say it after me should you choose to. The first time through we say this for ourselves. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. The second time we say it for somebody we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. The third time, as a spiritual stretch, we say this for somebody against whom we have a resentment. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. May it be so. So, um, the, the life of a minister is, is pretty endlessly interesting. And at, at 4.30 in the morning a couple of weeks ago, um, I got a text from a church member who said, I'm up at 4.30, I'm trying to remember the last line of that uh, meta-meditation. <laughs> And I think it says something like, try to stop being such a jerk, but I'm not sure. (laughs) And um, I answered right away because I happened to be up at 4.30 also taking my son to the airport to catch a 6 o'clock flight. And um, so I texted back and I just said, you know, here's the real line of it. And um, 
it's possible that if people did have ease of well-being, they would be less of jerks. But I want to talk to you about this meditation as one um, spiritual path, practice, that um, will help with forgiveness. Forgiveness makes you strong. That's my contention. A spiritual practice is just something that you do over and over and over again, whether you feel like it or not, in order to make yourself stronger inside, um, in order to have access to your inner wisdom when you need it, in order to uh, be able to keep your heart of compassion open, in order to keep your perspective when things get tough, in order to be unshakable. I mean, you're never going to be unshakable, really. But in order to just be a little bit sturdier, we'll say. Bitterness makes you brittle. Cynicism steals your hope. And ruminating on wrongs, either that you have done or that others have done to you, takes away your joy in life. And so it would be a good idea to let it go. As one of my spiritual teachers, Byron Katie, says... Can you think of a sane reason to hold on to that thought? So the meditation we just said together is one practice that can help with forgiveness. Another practice is the practice that we teach the children subliminally. We're indoctrinating them subliminally um, with a spiritual practice of their own. Breathe in, breathe out. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. That's another spiritual practice that they will know by heart by the time they grow up in this church. Forgiveness is related to both emotional and physical healing. I was just doing some research for the sermon this week, and I was reading a study that was done by Alex Harris and Carl Thorson. Um, they work at the Center for Healthcare Evaluation, which is part of the U.S. Uh, Department of Veterans Affairs. And they did a study in 2005 called Forgiveness, Unforgiveness, Health, and Disease. And basically, their contention after doing their research was that um, unforgiveness ruminating on wrongs done to you without doing anything about it. Um, unforgiveness is a chronic stressor with negative effects on the body. So they said it, um, it leads to chronic hyper-aroused stress response, which um, after you comb through all the scientific language basically says uh, it wears you out. So it's not good for you to have a feeling of being wrong. Now, having a feeling of being wronged is something that's appropriate if you've been wronged. So uh, what you do with it, though, is you talk about it until you figure out what to do, and then you do something about it, or you just talk about it until you can let it go, or you just let it go. Any of those are good, but hanging on to it and letting yourself drop into the groove of rehearsing the wrong that was done and... Um, all the circumstances that led up to it and how wrong they were and how right you were um, doesn't do anything for you. Anger, even in the study, they said some anger 
is uh, unfruitful and it's not good for you. Other anger is fruitful and it can lead to better health because anger does its job. If it's fruitful, anger um, helps move you out of a situation that's bad for you or it helps protect you from a person who's not good for you or it um, gives you the energy to change your life in some way that it needs changing. So anger can have a job that's good for you. There's a, a Jungian analyst who I'll quote later about forgiveness, who talks about anger, and she says, anger is good if you can cook with it. It shouldn't be such a hot fire that it burns your house down, but you should be able to cook with it, make things change their chemistry because of your anger. Another helpful question, if you're angry, that moves you from anger to forgiveness, a helpful question is, and I hate having to tell you this, but I'm sorry, here you go. Helpful question is, how much of this anger is anger at myself? It's much more comfortable to look at anger at another person. But usually, a good proportion of your anger is anger at you. Okay, forgiveness is difficult for lots of different reasons. One, it's difficult because when we're wronged, we have the option of putting on this cloak of the righteous victim, which is uh, semi-enjoyable in many situations. You get to be righteous, which is always fun. And, um, and you know I've told you righteousness is the root of all wickedness. Most bad behavior happens right after this flush of a feeling of being really right. Because when you're really right and you've been wronged, you feel somehow, we feel, by you I mean we, feel that we have carte blanche to hurt other people because we've been hurt. Or uh, we feel we have carte blanche to be brutal and kind of lay waste about us with the broadsword of our tongue because... Uh, Number one, we're hurt, and number two, we're right. It's a delicious combination. <laughs> Very dangerous. And forgiveness can be difficult because sometimes we enjoy being in that state where we imagine the conversation with the person who has wronged us, where we state our case most eloquently, and uh, because we've practiced. <laughs> We use exactly the right words, and we have exactly the right facial expressions. <laughs> and they say, oh, I understand. <laughs> I don't know how I could not have seen it. <laughs> I was so wrong. And you, you were so right. <laughs> Forgiveness is especially difficult when it comes to forgiving ourselves. Because uh, we can become addicted to that guilt and pain of having of self-flagellation. 
we go, I am not, I have made a terrible mistake or I hurt this person's feelings or I, I did something bad and it grows to be the biggest thing in your mind sometimes. And it's very difficult to get over it and forgive yourself. And especially if you're kind of um, the sort of person, I don't know anything about this kind of person really. Um, <laughs> if you're kind of a controlling person and you would rather be a bad person than acknowledge that psh, you just made a mistake because you're human and you're limited because you're human. Ooh, no. Don't want to be limited because I'm human. I'd rather be a bad person. It's, it can make people stuck. And so, um, <laughs> I remember um, I've been getting, making friends with being a regular person for a long time. And because uh, <laughs> you are one, you might as well make friends with it. And um, in my family, there's a, a kind of a family culture of that we, we expect more of ourselves than other people do. And the Bible verse that is um, recited a lot is, uh, from those to whom much is given, much will be required. That's a favorite. And so um, I remember saying one time to a member of my family, well, you know, I'm just a regular person and all the same rules apply to me that apply to everybody else. And they just went, oh, no. Oh, yes. Forgiving also requires a willingness to look at the harm that not forgiving does to you. Not only do you kind of stiffen into this self-righteous victim stance or just a hurt, destroyed victim stance, you get stuck there, whether there's self-righteousness in it or not. Or you you get um, stuck to the person who wronged you so that they... Uh, come eat every meal with you and they go in the car with you everywhere and they go on vacation with you and they're at work with you and they're in your head. And really, if you just forgave them, it would kind of unplug them from you and let them drive in their own car and go on vacation alone by themselves or with whoever can stand to be around them. (laughs) And if you don't, forgive yourself, you're stuck also to that vision of yourself that you have, that you are a certain kind of person or that you are the person who made this terrible mistake and you can't move on. And it doesn't just hurt you. It hurts the people who love you because um, if you are stuck to a mistake that you made, then you have these times when you're just, oh, I'm just a terrible person. You have this trough. In South Carolina, we call it a sink and spell. You just have this this trough that you get in. And, and so not only do the people who love you have to live their lives, they have to live their lives and reassure you the whole time that you are a worthy person. And it's kind of for them like dragging one of those suitcases with a broken wheel behind you that just frustrates you and won't go the right direction. And it's a pain for everybody. So you might as well really, if you can, just forgive yourself so that you can start living your own life. Um. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, the Jungian analyst and author and teacher, says forgiveness seems unrealistic to a lot of people. They're forgiving themselves or forgiving someone else because um, 
you think of it as a once and for all, all or nothing proposition. And people do say, forgive and forget. But and I think that is ideal, but I, I'm not sure many people can do that or can even afford to do that. Um, John F. Kennedy said, uh, forgive your enemies, but don't forget their names. <laughs> Over the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, it says, forgive, but never forget. So sometimes you need to remember in order to stay protected. But sometimes you can afford to forget. There are stages, Estes says, for forgiveness. The first stage she talks about, um, because she says, you know, your forgiveness is in many layers. It has many seasons. You can't do it all at once. Sometimes you can do a 95% forgiveness and then you're a saint. If you can do a 75% forgiveness, you're doing great. 60% is fine. Um, So it doesn't have to be 100% or else you've failed. She says, first, the step is to forego thinking about it for a while. Just give yourself a break and say, I'm not going to think about this again until next Tuesday. And so every time the thought comes, you just gently remind yourself, I'm going to think about this for hours on Tuesday if I want to, but I'm just not going to think about it right now. And the second step is to forbear doing anything about it. You just, as one of my therapy teachers used to say, don't just do something, stand there. You don't always have to do something. You don't flail around. You can just stand there for a while till you figure out what's necessary. And then um, she talks about forgetting. You, you actually let yourself try to release the thing, and then forgiving is the last step where you regard the other individual indulgently, and you don't have anything to say anymore about what happened. You've, you've said it, you're satisfied, you've let it go. Uh, I have to say, those steps make a lot of sense, but they do not work for me. Because I, you know, can't control my thoughts. And to me, it's like, okay, say you're not going to think about it. I find that torturous, as I would if I were one of the old um, uh, alchemists who were told that this pot of whatever it is will turn to gold if you can just stir it for two hours without thinking of the word hippopotamus. (sighs) My brain is is, as yet too unruly. Now, in a couple years when I'm a better person, I'm sure it'll be great. But what works for me is this meta-meditation. And I start by strengthening myself, by sending loving kindness to myself. And I say, may I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. And I say that until I can feel differently. And then I say it for a person who has wronged me. Now, the first iteration of this meta meditation that I learned was many, 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 many years ago uh, from a friend in the 12 step program. And she called it the resentment prayer. They pray it in the 12 step program. You just say, I wish or pray for you everything that I want for myself. And I think I've told you about her before. Her name's Dorothy. And Dorothy um, was having trouble with her mother. And her mother. <laughs> 
was one of these people who, oh, she was kind of mean in that uh, she was a very striking woman and, and extremely, fabulously wealthy. And um, she would do things like come into your living room and say, oh, you have such a sense of style. I would, who else could get away with fringe on their couch? So she had done this to her daughter once or twice, and um, and so Dorothy was gonna was was being urged by her sponsor to do this for her mother, and um, she said to her sponsor, "Oh, I I can't pray that for my mother because I wouldn't be able to mean it." And her sponsor said, "Do it anyway. You don't have to mean it. You don't have to mean it. It works anyway." And she said, "But that would make me a hypocrite." And her sponsor said, Dorothy, you're a drunk. God forbid you should be a hypocrite. So we were talking about this and I had just, um, I had just, I had very, very tiny children and they were being supplanted in my family's um, energy by uh, a child, a sister I had just, my dad had just had. He'd married a woman my age and they'd started having children the same ages as my children. And this girl, um, I know her now and she's lovely and this is not a problem anymore, but she was a prodigy. And that was some nerve because my children were brilliant and beautiful, but not prodigies. And um, this girl was like, when she was two and a half, she was reading the pamphlets in the doctor's office about emphysema and explaining them to the nurse. And um, (laughs) not that the nurse needed it explained. She just couldn't believe this two and a half year old was actually reading this pamphlet. And then they, you know, when she was 12, they went to Italy for a week and she learned Italian and... um, she got interested in King Arthur and learned Welsh. I mean, it was insufferable. Not for her. She was having a good time. It was insufferable for me. And um, so I, I started praying the resentment prayer for this prodigy sister of mine. And um, Dorothy said, you just pray it for 14 days in a row, and it's just magic. It works. It's not going to do anything for her, but it'll change you. And it started to. So I had to quit. So whichever way works for you, my um, message to you this morning is that forgiveness will make you stronger and you don't have to do it completely, 100%, either whether you're forgiving yourself or someone else. All you have to do is begin. Just begin or become willing to begin. And let me know how it goes. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. This old world is full of sorrow, full of sickness, weak and sore. 
If you love your neighbor truly, love will come to you the more. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.